I can turn around and not awkward, awkwardly stare at you in the back row. See all your faces. Oh man, it is good to be with you. Uh, can I say, uh, well, for one, welcome from uh, all your friends in California. They're waking up and they're worried for me. Actually, my five-year-old, who I'll introduce you to a little later this morning, she was concerned. She had my wife text me, Didn't, did you bring any winter clothes? <laughs> And I, I don't own winter clothes, so I was like, I have a beard. And my, and my daughter said, okay, I, you know. Um, but but uh, all of them are waking up to a, a much different climate and want to want to send their greetings. Uh, y- your church, I kind of I just encourage you. Your church has a way bigger footprint than 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 maybe you feel or experience on a on a day by day, week by week basis. I joke that Pastor Dan is actually he, at this point he's uh, first on a first name basis in our church. As we started to pray for him, now when I go to meetings and I'll just hear him say, and then they start, someone a member will just start praying for Dan, and I realize they're praying for this Dan. Uh, Mark is uh, uh, he's a humble man and doesn't tell you all the, all the ways he's influencing, impacting, uh, even even uh, the brothers and sisters in Orange, California, especially as we've been partnering together, even this last year in the uh, Emerging Leaders course. I got, I got a number of fans in our church appreciating uh, your pastor, uh, and, and we're about to have, I think, what's going to be, I think it's a historic moment even for, you might say, like, evangelical America as we publish, which Mark has worked long and hard on, uh, uh, for our denomination, a new statement of faith, which I, I, every time I read it makes me sing. I mean, it's just, it leads to doxology, and I'm just so excited about that. So thank you for sharing him. And Todd, listen, Todd, Todd brings me a lot of joy from the time we met in Phoenix when our pastoral team made him question whether we were Christians as he shared a car with us for a week on a retreat. To uh, Yesterday, I got on a plane at, at LAX, and uh, we had a nail in the in the tire of the plane, and no joke, they jacked the front of it. We just all sat there as they jacked up the plane and changed out the tire, which I didn't know they could do while we were all on the plane, only to have dinner and then have to change. Uh, Becca and I changed the tire on their car while Todd, no, I'm joking, Todd and I, <laughs> but had a flat tire last night in their car. So um, uh, it has just been a joy to be here for just a few hours to share this Sunday with you. Thanks. Uh, you are you are much loved and highly respected and regularly prayed for. So thanks for letting me be with you. I am here just as a fellow brother who just is uh, uh, enthralled with this book, this book of Romans. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Uh, I understand you're in the middle of a study of this incredible book, the, the Apostle Paul's Magnus Opus. Uh, and I am dropping in lock, lockstep, drafting behind Pastor Mark. I got Romans 14. If you know what we're coming up against, here it goes. Uh, uh, we're going to turn our attention to chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. The ESV translation heading reads, Do not pass judgment on one another. A timely word for us. Let me read and then I'll pray. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on a servant? 
of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day better than, as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let the one who observes the day observe it in the honor of the Lord. Let the one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this is the end Christ died. To this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be, both, be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For... We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to, the, to God. These are the very words of God. Would you, would you join me in a brief prayer just for understanding? Father, uh, as you are one with your son, and your son is one with you, so we are called to be one with one another. And so that's our prayer this morning. Grant us, grant us peace to love one another even when we disagree, even when we see things differently, even when we live differently. As we all individually live for your glory, would you grant us grace and wisdom and maturity to do it together? Because we are your family. We are your sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters. So we, so we pray. Let this, let this text have its, its intended effect upon our souls that we might all leave, leave this passage uh, different, changed, transformed. For your glory, send your spirit uh, that I might serve my friends well, but as well that you might be glorified. Show us your son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, I want to introduce you to my daughter. Uh, one of the greatest joys in my life at this moment is my youngest of five children. Uh, it was a ninth inning home run. I'm, I'm an older guy, but uh, a five-year-old daughter named Willow. Her middle name's Love. Willow Love is a good rock star name we're planning for the future. And <laughs> And she grounds me, the Willow does. While, while all, the, all my other children are busy with college and high school, I'm still attending things like, you know, story time at the public library, where you, you know, you know, which is one of my favorites. You know what I'm talking about. You, you go into the children's section way in the back, and there's the librarian, and we all sit there, and I sit with my daughter, Willow. The library's right next to our church office, and so we go there regularly. And uh, one of the first things they do is they, we sing songs, right? Uh, it, the classics. The same set of songs every time, you know, if, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? The wheels on the bus go round and round. My favorite, one of my favorites, five little monkeys jumping on a bed. Stop it, is what dad said. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, even when it terrifies my daughter, I, lo I love those times. Well, well, listen, once, just a couple years ago, once there was a song in the mix we didn't regularly sing. I heard it a thousand times. It was familiar, but as we sang it, I had just come from my office studying this very text, and it struck me as odd. Here's, here's the song. You'll know the song. The more we get together, 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 the more we get together, the happier we'll be, right? 
your friends are my friends and my friends are your friends. The more we get together, the happier we'll be, right? You know that song. And I thought, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not how the world works. So what did I do as a pastor? I Googled it. I tried to figure out where did this song come from? And it turns out, if you don't know, I'm about to inform you, this song, I can't make this up. The, the More We Get Together was first written and published by two British men, right? Early uh, 20th century, about 100 years ago. Can't make this up. For their new organization name, this was their theme song for the organization, The Ancient Order of Froth Blowers, as in ale. The Ancient Order of Froth Blowers. <laughs> and I'm using this, this illustration for a purpose, Romans chapter 14. <laughs> A men's fraternity, that's what this song is. A men's fraternity whose mission statement was officially, again, I can't make this stuff up. You, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it on the song. A men's fraternity whose official mission statement was to drink beer, eat beef, and smoke tobacco. That's where this song comes from. Their, their motto was lubrication and mod moderation. <laughs> and the, the ancient, the, the, this ancient order of froth growers, their, their highest uh, person, their senior blower, that was his name, uh, 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 for years would gather men, and it became, it became a movement, and more and more men, thousands, even later, women and children started attending the meetings. They clamored to join this club in the early 1900s. You picture like 1920s English pub, and they'd be singing, the more we get together, 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 the more we get together, the happier we'll be. And you could just see them <laughs> swinging their mugs, right? And I just thought, okay, now the song makes a lot of sense. <laughs> However, for the rest of us who don't belong to this ancient order, <laughs> this fraternity, reality is quite the opposite. Is it not quite the opposite? The more we get together, the better we know one another, the more likely it is, more likely it is that we will at some point or another disagree. And when we disagree, the more unhappy <laughs> we tend to be. Isn't that the truth? Why? Why? As our text implies this morning, if you didn't catch it already, verse 1, because we have opinions. <laughs> That's why it's hard when we get together, because we have opinions. You, you see it there in verse 1, as the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You have opinions. I have opinions. The strong have opinions. The weak have opinions. Your pastors are prof professional opinion makers, right? We all have opinions. We have convictions regarding what is right or wrong, what is wise and unwise, on issues, on issues that are not necessarily black and white. It's called our conscience. Different than every other Christian's conscience. Their lists of right and wrongs, wise and unwise behaviors, likes and dislikes, they're all different. As, as God has wired and trained us, each of us shaped us, transformed us. We all have our list. We all have our list of opinions. And no two lists are the same. This is why it's not easy to get together. No two lists are the same. Not yet. Not the side of glory. And listen, listen, no list, no list, if you get anything, is exactly the same as God's list. Right? Which is the one list to rule all lists, right? God's list. This itself, if we just stopped right there and said, okay, we got a, we got a challenge here trying to ag agree with one another in order to welcome one another. Uh, th this is mind-blowing if you follow the logic. There has never been a Christian, there's never been a Christian whose convictions, I mean like deep down in your heart, I believe it with all my might, 
Christian convictions. There's never been a Christian whose convictions have lined up perfectly with God's will. That's why Romans 14 is here. All of our lists have always, always, always been defective at one point or another. And so, this is why right here we discover, <laughs> we discover the Apostle Paul 13 chapters deep into the greatest letter ever written, instructing this Roman church and you and I on how to respond to Christians, how to respond to Christians with whom we have disagreements. That's all of them, okay? That's everybody. How to respond to other Christians, particularly ones where you're aware because you've spent some time together, the more we get together, that you have disagreements. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul's now going to spend 10% of his letter, the greatest letter ever written, 10% of the letter is about differing, how to, how to manage differing convictions. After 13 chapters of this is what you should believe, he's going to say this is what you do because you're not going to agree on how this applies to your life. How do we get along? Uh, the, the more we get along, right, the more than, and more than getting along, how do we thrive? How, do we, how, how are we to be unified even when we disagree? How can we welcome one another? And I love that word. We're going to bump into it a bunch this morning. Welcome one another. How can we welcome one another into our lives and yet somehow keep our opinions, verse 1, to ourselves? To not argue with one another. So, two instructions he offers. Two instructions. Point number one, first instruction. Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. This is a tough one. Look with me again, beginning of verse two. Let God be the judge. Verse two, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And oh, the hard, just stop right there. <laughs> if I could name our church like Barbecue Baptist Church, in Orange County, that's what I would name it. Why, why in Romans 14 are we introduced to members, and you may be a vegetarian here, don't be offense, don't take offense, it's in the Bible. Why are some of the members only eating vegetables? We, we, inexplicably, well, we don't know exactly, but listen, good guess, good guess what's going on here is that, it's, that it was near impossible to find kosher meat, so to speak, in Rome in the middle of the first century. And we know many of the members of the Roman church, you've probably already been instructed, were Jewish. They came from a Jewish background. We know that the city of Corinth at the same time, the, the church there was debating whether or not it was okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Some would say yes, some would say no. Best guess is that it was the same issue in Rome. And both times in Corinth and in Rome, I just want to point out that Paul Oh, well, he sides with the carnivores, okay? <laughs> First Corinthians 9, here you're talking to another church, same time. Food will not, com will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do eat. I would argue, want to emphasize that we are better off when we do eat. But he says we're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do eat. You see, you see at this point, Romans chapter 14 Everyone's having to do the math now, theological math, especially for the Jew who has received Christ and the gospel by faith. Just how far does this new freedom go for him or her from the, the law that, that, that the, the law pronounced, the, 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 the requirements that were that were taught to them. How far does this new freedom in the gospel go for them? Under the new covenant, old covenant, there were dietary restrictions. 
Should they just abandon them now? Or would it be better off to keep them? There was disagreement. It's a gospel issue, really, if you just get cut right to the chase. It's a gospel issue. And you see, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul describes the one who is keeping the old regulations, the old dietary regulations, because he or she is struggling in his or her conscience to grasp how far the gospel really, truly does intrude into their past ways of thinking and believing and living now that they are in Christ who has fulfilled all the obligations and demands of the law, they continue to abstain. Almost counterintuitively, Paul calls them the weak. The weak, rather than the strong. The weak. The one who is weak in faith. That, that's a criticism. Paul's not de- denying that they're not Christians. Did you catch that? They're not denying that they're not Christians, but he's saying that they're weak. They need to grow there, that there is a deficiency in their understanding and practice and the implications of the gospel in their lives. The the weak here believe that they believe in the essentials of the faith, but how they work out those essentials of the faith, the implications of that, need improving. Their list of opinions, their convictions, were strong and deeply held and lived out but defective. Mm, sorry. And what does the apostle say about the weak? How are, how are we to engage and relate to those who struggle with how the gospel applies to everyday life? Christians, how are we to engage and relate to those who struggle with how the gospel applies to everyday life? Into things like what you eat for dinner. Verse 3. If you look with me, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let God be the judge both the strong and the weak. You know what's missing here? If, it, if you're reading carefully, what's surprising here, what's missing is there's no instruction here, even though Paul disagrees with the weak, there's no instruction here in Romans 14 so far to instruct the weak. It isn't a, okay, we're both working out the, complica- the implications of the gospel, we're doing our theological math, and it appears some of them have some defective lists, so get with it, right? No. No, he... He leaves them there to to strengthen their convictions. He doesn't call the strong to correct the weak, but rather to welcome them into their lives. There's a great book. I don't have it with me, but uh, it's called The Conscience, What It It Is, How to Train It, and Loving loving Those Who Differ. You can probably find it online if you you go back over the sermon at some point, find that title. But but, uh, the author writes, and I just find this so helpful, mature Christians should help other Christians train their conscience, right? That's, that's what the instinct here is. Well, they're weak. We need to help them. We need to argue about over their opinions. But he writes, mature Christians should help other Christians train their consciences, but no one should force others to change their conscience. So mature Christians, eager to share in what the Lord has taught and 
worked out in our lives, but yet at the same time, at the same time, welcoming them in without requiring them to comply to your list, which, remember, if we go back to the beginning, is defective as well in some way, in some shape. How, how generous is this? To, to let God be the judge and welcome someone in who has a different opinion than you, and potentially you even could see the holes in their opinions. How generous, how generous of Paul the Apostle. He doesn't say get with the program. He doesn't correct their view. And he wrote, what, a third of the New Testament? Now, listen, just to be really clear here, when we're talking about uh, differences of opinions. Christians will never agree on everything, not till heaven, and s- some of those d- disagreements are going to be over debatable issues, but I'm not referring to that which is plain in the scriptures. Just to be clear, before we go any further, I'm not talking about things that are plain in the scriptures where, where commands are commands and everything is black and white. If you want to o- argue whether, you know, whether or not Jesus is, is God or the validity of the resurrection or the historic facts surrounding Adam and Eve or sexual immorality or drunkenness or lying, stealing, stealing murder, or even particularly participation in corporate worship, right? That somehow these essential truth claims of the Christian life are debatable. I won't have it. Got no part in it. Whenever I bump into it, I just, God bless you, and I move on. Uh, uh, but about, what about things like if someone believes them but wouldn't preclude them from being called a Christian? Like theological issues like spiritual gifts, Election, predestination, how God saves people, roles of men and women, the Sabbath, that's right there in our chapter. What about the choice to have or not have children? What about the kinds of music and media someone enjoys, even if it's got the wrong rating, or worse yet, it's like country music or something like that? No? Do you guys like country music here? No. What about alcohol? Dancing, playing cards, right? <laughs> Homeschool, Halloween, long hair, smoking. Those were so like, you know, 30 years ago. Listen, if you're wrestling with those, or if you're thinking that's the issues that we're talking about right now, no, today it's recycling, right? If you don't recycle, I mean, at our church, we're Californians, so you can think we're crazy. We are crazy. But I mean, we have the, the deacon of recycling who makes sure, no, I'm, I'm joking that there's a position, but it exists informally, not on paper. Someone's there watching to make sure and, and, and picking out the bottles. And every day, every service, you see them with a bag over their hands with all the water bottles. And I'm just throwing them in the regular trash like crazy because I'm free in Christ. But they're pulling them back out. And right? Recycling is an issue. Trump is an issue, right? Immigration is an issue. That's what's being debated, right, among Christians today, that where we disagree on our opinions, Right? The validity of the spiritual gifts, whether or not it's okay for our children to play sports on Sundays. You see, see what Paul is saying, what God's saying, verse 1 again. Here's the instruction, the commandment. The, in the essentials, unity. The essentials of the faith. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Why? Do you see the logic there? Verse 3 again. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Welcome them because why? Because God has welcomed them. He's the judge. 
that same book on conscience, the author writes, we must not look down, right? He says, despise. Despise the strict. Right? Despise the strong. Or despise the weak. Despise the strict. You must welcome them. Learn how to get along with them. The ones who have a long list of opinions. Right? We must not look down or despise the strict. You must welcome them. Learn how to learn how to get along with them and learn how to appreciate their, I love how he writes it, subculture. You got a list. I'm sure you can make a list of Christian subcultures, right? He writes, you need to assume that they are being strict for God's glory, not because they're neurotic fundamentalists. You need to assume they're being strict. You need to assume that they're doing what they're doing go in both directions, to please God. We skip to verse 6. Look at, look at the logics right there again. The, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Basically, I would say most likely, confusion and discussion over the Sabbath, right? The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, so generous. And, and what a radical economy. The one who says, we're not going to eat the meat to please God. Sitting alongside the one who says, I'll order double, but I'll take your steak too. <laughs> to please the Lord. And both of them sitting at the same table. That, that's the picture here. The, the, the apostle commending us to believe the best about the weaker brother or sister and to believe the best about the stronger brother and sister. And this is, again, the guy who wrote, seems like they can't fit together, that we should argue over our opinions. This is the guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He says they are both doing it to please God. They're both doing it to please God. So don't quarrel over your opinions, but rather welcome them. Have you stopped there and now ask the question, well, am I the weak? Or am I the strong? And everyone's going to raise their hand and say, well, I'm the strong, right? We're probably both, right? You got some lists where you're the weak and some points where you're the strong. But the fact that whether we're strong or we're weak, that what God's most, most let me say, interested in is not our opinions, but rather our unity, is quite telling. I think it's a life, tra life trajectory altering truth. And God cares more about our unity than he does your opinions and my opinions. <laughs> Which means we can be free. We can be free because we're letting God be the judge. We can be free from endlessly, endlessly evaluating, measuring, <laughs> grading, judging everyone else. You could be free from being judgmental. Judgmentalism doesn't need to have any place among God's people. We can be free from this. Don't despise the one who disagrees with you. Don't judge the one who is at odds with you. Rather, take the people who disagree with you and do things differently than you do, which you would prefer not to do, and welcome them into your life, into your heart, 
as a friend, as a brother or sister, welcome them in as a fellow child of God. And that's hard. That's the work of the Spirit. It'd be so much easier, listen, it'd be so much easier to go find someone, find a group of people who have similar opinions to your opinions, or at least someone who welcomes, at least to welcome into your life those who do things differently, who, who you believe are the weak in order to change them, right? So it's either, I want to find a bunch of people who agree with me and who live their lives like me and hold the same convictions and opinions as me, or I want a bunch of people who will listen to me so that I can influence them so that they can be like me. Ooh. <laughs> Again. Again, the instruction here, clear as day in the Bible, in the scriptures. Only possible by the work of the Spirit to unify brothers and sisters. We're talking about serious humility. We're talking about serious love and charity. <clears throat> to do quite the opposite, to bring those that are different than us close to us. And share yourself with them, not to change their opinions, but rather to love them. And that leads us to our second, second of two points. And I don't have a clock. Am I okay? Okay. A second of two points, more briefly. Uh, if, if point number one was let God be the judge. Here Paul also says something that I think we need to hear loud and clear. Let us also, point number two, be convinced. Let God be the judge and let us be convinced. Convinced of our opinions, our convictions, our, our things that we believe and how we live. And with a clean and clear conscience act and behave. End of verse 5, you see it right there. Each one, here's an instruction, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, in her own mind. This, this is what it means, again, counterculture here. This is what it means to be strong. There, there it is. What does it look like to be strong? It means to be convinced to have wrestled with the implications of and the boundaries of the gospel, where, where freedom lies and where, where prohibitions exist, to wrestle all those things and the completion of the work of Christ and how we are welcomed by God into a relationship with him and we've been forgiven for all our sins and we, we embrace the essentials of the faith. And as we wrestle deeper and deeper and deeper into it, we grow stronger and stronger and stronger and more and more convinced of our convictions. Same book on the conscience. I'm saying it a lot because it's a wonderful book. It would serve you to read it. Same book, the author writes, we believe that the more you understand what faith in Christ means, and listen to this, we believe, the author writes, there's two authors, we believe that there are that the more you understand what faith in Christ means, the more you will be set free from unnecessary regulations in your life. That's good news, right? That's, that could be relieving. We believe the more you understand what, what faith in Christ means, the more, you, and I do believe this, the more you will be set free from unnecessary regulations in your life. <clears throat> sound doctrine, a mind that's been washed and renewed by the truth, a sp the spirit renewing and remaking, regenerating your heart and your life with, with spiritual vitality as you grow in understanding and stature, 
both among the brothers and sisters, but also with the Lord and maturity in your faith tends, tends to solidify things that you wondered about and walked about, we'll say, uneasily in, but rather now fully convinced. Free. I'm, I'm free to, to walk and to please the Lord in the things that God has called me to do and not to be tossed to and fro by everybody else's positions and thoughts and convictions and their Facebook posts. And you read the Facebook posts and you go, oh, maybe I should change my whole life only to read the next morning, find someone else in the comments disagreeing and just dismantling the whole thing they said. And no, I could just imagine this. I see this right now. We're a young church. And so we have lots of people educating their kids and they all thought they weren't going to homeschool. And then COVID came and now they're all at my house being homeschooled. <laughs> all these kids and, and everybody's fully convinced in their mind of what they're going to do, but they're not really sure. And then they read the Facebook post that they really shouldn't go to and I'm, I'm saying this provocatively, they shouldn't go to the government schools, they should be homeschooled, only to find themselves to later to find out that, no, it's okay, and they get convinced by that Facebook post, their whole life changes overnight by a comment on Facebook, and then COVID hits, and they're back at it. Rather, and you just see this, good brothers and sisters who, just in that example alone, not tossed to and fro, not being thrown all around, their consciences firm, firm because they have studied the scriptures, done the hard work to know what they believe and why they believe it, and then living it out. And to be clear, again, again, Christians need not agree on everything. There are things we need to agree upon. Like I said, the essentials of faith, though, they are surprisingly, if you're building strong convictions, right, if you're being, you're, you're being fully convinced in your mind, just be aware, that list of essentials, it's really short. It's shockingly short. It begins with what you believe about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and how we respond, and what is required of us, and not really much more. You could be a Christian yet be wrong. Listen, that's, that's another implication of this text. You could be a Christian and yet be wrong about all kinds of things. That's not a goal. That's not the excuse. That's not the end. But you can be wrong. And listen, you can be wrong. And I, I was, my, I don't know about you all, in my, my church, there are a lot of people who are wrong about a lot of things, yet they are saved. They are being saved. They're new creations made by Jesus. And that, that, even better is, is, how, is how we can disagree with other Christians and yet still welcome them into our lives. That's what, that's what point number one was all about. Let God be the judge. What has been his judgment? Listen to verse seven and following. You can even enjoy the one in whom you just <laughs> plain old disagree with. Right? Verse seven, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. You, you, you're standing on the Lord. You're dependent upon the Lord. He's speaking to brothers and sisters right now, some all of which are wrong. 
on multiple points. Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. We're, we're standing on him. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's up to him. It's him who's doing it. He is the judge. Verse 9, for this is the end. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the, the living. They don't belong to you. Apostle Paul saying. They belong to their master, the Lord, who has passed judgment. Verse 10, what, what, see that? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as long as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to who? To me, the Lord, not you. The strong or the weak. Every tongue shall confess to God. Boys, you're not the judge. He's the judge. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account not to each other, but to him. But to him. Fully convinced? Being fully convinced in your own heart and mind, it produces, it produces an ability, an ability to welcome in those who differ strongly with you. For you can be fully convinced not only of the rights and the wrongs and your preferences and opinions, but you can also be fully convinced that this brother or sister who doesn't seem to got it all right like you do is also being saved. Who's also being saved. Why, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is where we locate our unity. The ground is level. We're all before the throne. Not in our ever-shifting lists, right, of convictions and opinions, but rather on a fierce, firm grasp on the pervasive power of the gospel in all matters of life, in all kinds of people, that we can be saved. Despite our deficient lists, we can be joyful, we can be generous we can be loving we can welcome others into our lives you know what it looks like to be strong this i was i don't know i'm recommending all kinds of books and your pastors i don't they, they they'll write to you next week and say don't read that book whatever it is i gotta find where i wrote it there you go this is what it looks like to be strong this is where i'm gonna end it's a wonderful book Joe Rigney, strangely bright. Can you, can you live, love God and enjoy this world? This is what he writes. Right, so I want to conclude this chapter. I'm going to conclude this sermon right, with a very simple and practical exhortation. And this is where I think if, if, if you walk away any place, if you're struggling with this, if you've got a long line of opinions and you've got some firm convictions and yet you're feeling kind of uneasy as to where you fall on this list and on which side of the coin you your face is on, in this chapter. Here's what he says. I want to conclude my sermon with a very simple and practical exhortation because what we do with this un, undeniable truth that Jesus, right, and we'll just say, Jesus, he says Jesus is better than, than, uh, better than anything, and I would add that we believe that. We have strong, firm convictions on this. Makes a huge practical difference. Here's what he writes. My main counsel to those struggling with how to find and enjoy 
meat versus vegetables, right? Abstaining, enjoying every day versus just one day. He writes this, is that while knowing that Jesus is better, how, how to enjoy the things of earth while knowing that Jesus is better would be to avoid suppressing any of their legitimate pleasures when they arise. Avoid suppressing any of your legitimate pleasures when they arise. He writes, now there are all kinds of qualifications I want, I, want, I want to make about that advice. That's why they're in the chapters and the books, and he has it all in there. Yes, we must test our delight in the things of earth by restraining our appetites and sacrificing good things in the cause of love, but we mustn't become permanent test takers, right? We're talking about our conscience now, who seek to somehow honor the giver by refusing to enjoy his gifts, right? Or by enjoying them with a low-grade guilt hanging over us like the plague, COVID-19. <clears throat> and of course, he writes, it's only important to stress that we're only talking about legitimate pleasures. Enjoying sinful pleasures is always out of bounds. We're not arguing about those, those we disagree with. Sinful desires and pleasures must be mortified, killed, put to death. But when we're talking about legitimate earthly pleasures, the freedoms that are being debated here, right? My counsel is to take the governor off. My counsel is to take the governor off. If your joy in your family is going to shoot through the roof, don't enforce, reinforce the ceiling with steel. Perhaps even open the skylight and let the, them slide in. The reason is simple. If I'm relating to God properly, and that's a big if, that is, I know that in my bones Christ is all of my joy, and delight, then I need not fear the lesser pleasures. The strong and the weak need to hear this. For when they do, they carry my joy to God with them. We don't need to test our faithfulness by throwing, I love this, dull parties. Right? Instead, we don't need to test our faithfulness by throwing dull parties, by being the weak. Instead we, have, we, instead, we seek to have the best party possible, and at the end of the night, and in the midst of our joy, say, this, even this, is but a picture and a foretaste. This is the gospel. These are the implications of the gospel. You do the math. This, all this that the world has to offer us here, at its best, is but a picture and foretaste. Eye has not seen what God has for us. And here he goes. So, do so knowing that when we ourselves are one day reaped and gathered into barns and mountains, the mountains will flow with wine and the Son of Man himself, eyes twinkling with the joy set before him, will offer us the cup. This, this is what it looks like. We talked a lot about the weak, but ending with the strong. With boundless energy, right? Motivation to please God in all things. With mercy and patience, welcoming in those that disagree with us and who may not be enjoying everything that Christ has set us free and renewed for our pleasure, reminding us of themselves. We can please God. We can please God even by being friends. A friend of those who are struggling to grasp the good news. Isn't that in the end what turned this all the way back around? The more, more we get together, 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 right? The more we get together, the, the, 
the happier we'll be. If there's not anything in this world that God has not given us for our joy, which is a foretaste of what's to come, it is us, one and others, you and I, your church, my church, perhaps the greatest gift in this world, in this life, one for us in Christ, we have been reconciled both to him. Welcome to God, but as well, welcome to one another. So, so by the grace of God, <laughs> may you keep your opinions to yourself. Humbly, humbly work hard, work hard to firm up your convictions and wrestle with the gospel and welcome in those, welcome in those who are would feel like they're in bondage, yet not experiencing, you'll, we'll say, they're experiencing a dull party and not the greatest party. Would you, would you pray with me as I pray for you? Father, Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for this letter that's been preserved for us by brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Lord, that these words would come to us even in a day like today in 2020 when there are so many opinions and we're all needing to be fully convinced in our own mind, Lord, I pray. I pray you would make us strong. You would guide us to the truth and give us grace to enjoy that, that which is our great, one of the greatest gifts in this life, that is each other. May we welcome one another in as you have welcomed us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.